Take your Bible, if you would, please, if you have it with you. If you don't, there is a Bible that's there in front of the pew in front of you or underneath the one you're seated on. I'll give you a couple of things, maybe some things that we all need to learn from. If you'd like to stand together, you certainly can. And while you're standing, the door closers on the back of the doors have been repaired to keep them from slamming so hard. So you don't have to force them, but it's going to take a while for them to close. And so as a result of that, just let them close slowly. And if you are um, having uh, difficulties getting through the door quickly, you never have to worry about that anymore. Open the door and then the door will close itself behind you. And that way, everybody has plenty of time to get in. I want to say at the onset, this is extremely important for you to grab a hold of. Because in a world that is fraught with all kind of troubles, trials, tribulations, problems, difficulty, you can be found in the book of Luke. That's over in the New Testament. The propensity, the tendency is, is to get saturated with, if not infatuated with, what's going on in the here and now. And forget about the hereafter. The most important thing in your life, if you're not saved, is being saved from an eternal destination in hell. But once you've resolved that issue, it's now to make decisions in light of the judgment seat of Christ because there's still a judgment coming, but your salvation will not be questioned. It's what did you do for the Lord? No matter what your position is, did you use that position for what would be pleasing to the Lord? And oftentimes when trouble comes, and many of us have had that trouble, the tendency is is to kind of get pulled down to earth and to pause and just think about nothing but earthly things. If I can just get this particular problem, I'll wind up turning my head back up. But the problem is, is that one problem after another problem after another problem works like gravity and has a tendency to give us that forward head posture that causes us to be this way all the time instead of this way. The Lord made you where your head is supposed to be sort of up and back. But what begins to happen over time is the burdens of life begin to get on us and the shoulders in the middle of the back begins to lean forward and the big old noggin that we have that begins to lean forward and then before long the head is down and it's harder and harder for us to get the upward look. And so I just want to remind you of a few things in light of eternity this morning that's important for you to consider because the Bible says that everyone will have an opportunity to have their day in court. You'll get an opportunity to meet the Lord. The Bible said it is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. If that's true, if the Bible's right, I believe that it is. You have to be convinced yourself. If that's true, life doesn't stop when you hit the box. Life doesn't stop, doesn't matter what you did down here and how many honors we may pay you. Life doesn't stop there. It starts in eternity in one of those two places. And presuming the minority of you here are saved, if you're not saved, let me just say this. You're not here by happenstance. But can I say this to you? And I'm going to tug on you a little bit. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. But most of you will plan for tomorrow, but you will not plan for the life hereafter. So I just want to draw your attention to that this morning for a couple hours and then we'll be ready to go to lunch. 
pick it up, if you will. It's a great passage. Luke chapter 17 talks about um, the things that have to do, come to verse number 26, have to do with the, the servant. It's impossible, but that offenses will come. Remember that? Woe unto him to who they come. Better a millstone be hung about his neck and cast into depth seed than to offend one of these little ones. And that's when Pete comes up and says, Lord, uh, do I have to forgive my brother? And he said, yes, you have to. How many times? The Lord, seven times. And then he said, I'm just giving you an over, overview. He said, until 70 times seven. And that's when Peter makes the famous saying, Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> you say, why? It's hard to forgive, isn't it? Isn't that one of the most difficult things? You know what the Bible says to you? He says to you, he said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed to the day of redemption. And he comes down through here about a multitude of things. And then he said, and forgiving one another. How, Lord, do I do that? Even as God forgave you for Christ's sake. How did he forgive me? Unmerited forgiveness. But boy, that's a tough one. That's hard. You kind of get that one gets kind of stuck on the way up. Well, in the latter days, he gives you a couple of comparisons there that are noteworthy, that are important. Because most people paint a God that is all love and no wrath. If you have an all love God, you have a God uh, that doesn't fit in. He'll fit into society, but he doesn't fit in into eternity. A God that doesn't have both judgment and righteousness and goodness and love and kindness and also wrath. A God of just all mercy is a God that's out of balance. You have to have the two things. You even have it in your own household. So he gives you a couple of comparisons here and they're pretty uh, uh, noteworthy in and of themselves. Look at it in verse number 26. The Bible says, and as it is or as it was in the days of Noah... So shall it be also be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. Does it sound like anything familiar? Life just going on like it's always going on. And then he said, uh, even and then he says that the same day Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed. Did you see the next two words? Them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man shall be revealed. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down and take it away. And he that is in the field, let him not. Return back. Uh, Brother Larry, you pray, would you, and ask the Lord to help us. Thank you this morning for what we've already heard in the first hour as well. Uh, God, and thank you, Lord, for moving in your presence, being here in such a mighty way, Lord, during the song service and those that sang, God, and lifted you up and pointed you out. God, we thank you for that. We've come to the time of the preaching. I pray, God, to bless your word, breathe on your word, God, as you come forth. Use your man one more time, please. We thank you, Lord, for the visitors. We thank you for all of us that are here, able to be here, and those that are listening by using the airwaves. I pray, God, that anything, Lord, that uh, that may be among us, whether it be in me or someone, God, that would hinder this word coming forward, the liberty being given. I pray, God, that you'd help us with that and remove it uh, from our midst. I pray, God, that you'd use your man in a mighty, mighty way this morning to get the word through to us. That that he's if we could use the word excavated, that he's dug out, that you give him, God, that, that will be preached in this hour for us on this day. 
We want to thank you in advance for what you're going to do for us. We give you the glory for the fellowship that we have, the walk that we know with you, and the closeness. We thank you for that. We thank you especially, again, Lord, for your presence here in this place. Use your man in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. While you're being seated, if you wouldn't mind, if you'll turn to 2 Corinthians 5, let me see if I can give you an entrance way into the message. We know for an absolute fact that the passage that I just read to you has to do before the second coming of Christ. Now, here's the misconception that many people have. Before the second coming is a thing that takes place called the catching away or what's called the rapture of the church. That's for saved believers. We still believe that. So there are certain things that will happen during the tribulation period that you won't be a part of. But let me make sure you clearly understand this. Just because you live in, to me, the greatest nation on the face of the earth, albeit with all of its fleas and all the fact that it's still a dog, it's still better than living in any other country in the United States. And if you don't want to do that, then pack up and go ahead and go. You have freedoms in this country that you don't have anywhere else. A little bit of griping about that goes a really long ways because ultimately, no matter what happens, we have it better than the majority of people in the entire world. But let me just say this to you. Many people are under the misconception that now I'm saved, it's done. No, there's still judgment coming for you too. And there is nothing in the Bible that says that there will not be judgment on the United States of America before the time that the tribulation takes place and before the rapture. Now, I hope it doesn't. I don't want to go through that. I don't want to have the idea or the thought that things turn into an absolute calamity. But you do have to remember, we have had some things that have happened. You had millions of people that were killed in World War I. All you have to do is read that account. And you know what you'll find out? Millions of people died in World War I. You lost a few hundred thousand in World War I. Russia lost 14 million in World War I. You can do the historical research on that. World War II cost us a great amount and those kind of things. Korean War cost a bunch. Uh, 60,000, 58,000 or so died in war. A lot of them were saved individuals when we went to Vietnam. You can call it a policing action, whatever. It was a war that went over there. Then you have Desert Storm. You have wars have always been a part of what's going on here. The mistaken idea is, is that now that we are saved, that there's some kind of a utopian breakout, that the Lord is not going to allow those kinds of things to happen. Those things still happen, and they even happen to Christian people. You've lost loved ones. You've had divorces in your life. You've had untimely deaths in your life. Some of you still have diseases. Some of you have gotten the bad diagnosis. And you're coming to church, but you're taking chemotherapy, and you're taking radiation, and you're having surgeries and those kind of things. The idea, the misconception is, is that God is only a good God in the sense that He doesn't allow tragedy or difficulties to come into our life. It's a lie right out of the pit of hell. God does allow those things to happen. He does allow those things to transpire. He is aware of everything. I'm glad He's aware of those things because then guess what? I have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of my infirmities. He's aware of what you're going through. He's aware of the problems and the difficulties and those things that got kicked off when they threw the rock in the pond way back in the garden. 
So it's important that you square up in your mindset to realize that when the tragedies and the wars and the problems and the things that are happening in the world, God's aware that all of those things are going on. The day that you'll be relieved of that is when death or rapture comes your way. And when that occurs, you don't have to worry about it anymore. But you have to be prepared for it in the here and now. You say, why? Only time will tell what will befall you, maybe even as early as this afternoon. He gives you a couple of warnings because he says in the last days, it's like the days of Noah. You remember when Jacob was out there and he ran from God and he did things that he shouldn't do. And he wound up over there with Laban. He wound up working for seven years for what he thought was going to be Rachel. Found out later that he got Leah, had to work seven more years and then stayed another six years before he left. Twenty years he had been out of fellowship with the Lord. And when he got ready to come back to meet Esau, you know what happened? His past caught up with him. You say, what happened? Well, when he met God, that time he walked away with a limp. Could I just give you something to think about? If you really meet God, your life will be forever changed. It's not always that you'll walk with a physical limp, but there'll be some changes that'll take place in your life. You view things differently. You have a different perspective of things. In other words, you see things other people can't see. You have a different pair of glasses on, and they're not rose-colored glasses. They're not, oh, everything's great and everything's wonderful. No, guess what? The reality is we live in a sin-soaked world on a sin-soaked earth and we have to deal with the collateral damage of that. And one of those things we have to deal with is as a Christian is to not just set the example, but to accept the fact that thank the Lord that I'm saved, but I am not promised that I'm not going to have trouble that's going to transpire in the process of my life. So many Christians get so bitter because they're like when you're little kids and they don't get their their cotton candy or they don't get the sucker or they don't get the piece of candy when they go to the dentist or whatever it might be, which is an odd thing. They got cavities. It's almost like it's a bait and switch. You got cavities, but we're going to give you sugar. Now, don't eat sugar. It causes cavities. But it's like, well, why are you giving my kids sugar? Because we want to continue to see them. I mean, it's good for the bottom line, right? So sometimes what we do, though, is we have a misconception without recognizing there's a warning that's given to us in the Bible. Can I say this to you that a God that doesn't judge is not a God at all? All throughout the Old Testament, God always judged. One of the first things he holds up, one of the first things he makes predominant in there, he says, as it was in the day of Noah, you don't go six chapters in the book of Genesis before the Lord said it repented him that he made man. What a what a great thing to say about man. I mean, would you not agree, in spite of all our faults and frailties, that man is a pretty significant creation? I mean, it's not a robot. He's made with a free will, has the ability to do certain things. And every one of us are as different as snowflakes, although there's some things that are that are similar. Right. But you would have to admit there's nobody been able to match what it was to take to make a man. And by the way, if you've ever seen Adam's baby pictures, You've seen those, right? It's like dust. That would be his baby. You'll get it in a minute. He made Adam out of the dust of the ground. That's his baby pictures. He didn't make him a baby. He made him a full grown man. Another story altogether. But here's the thing I need for you to understand. God intended for it to be perfect. And we messed it up. Now you say, no, Adam and Eve messed it up. Okay, well, you've done your share of messing up too. 
You got to accept responsibility. Okay, your part in it. You have not always been the perfect little angel. And we don't look at the cross and find your name right there at the bottom. Go perfect Christian. There he is right there. Here's your picture. We all realize all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Is that right? But you know what's a strange thing is? Is that oftentimes your past has a way of treeing you. That's why I recommend you get saved, put it under the blood. You'd be surprised how the Lord will prevent individuals from bringing up those pasts. Everybody has a past. The thing you need to be concerned about is, is sometimes the past is to remind you of how God is, how good God is in the present. What I was before I got saved and the people that want to remind me of what I was or where I was or what I did or whatever. Those aren't my friends and those aren't people I even need to give the credibility to answer to. It's just foolishness. You say, why? It's a cheap shot. I've told you that a million times. The same thing goes for Christians that all they want to do is just remind you of where you used to be. Hey, see you later. I don't need to be around you to be reminded of that. Thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm trying to do better now. Uh, some of you that are foolish enough to go to your your uh, reunions. I mean, I know you're going because you want to show off and show up and all that other kind of stuff. And if that's what you want to do, that's fine. And everybody's drinking and dancing around and acting the fool. And you're thinking about getting out there, but you're afraid you'll break something if you move. <laughs> But in your mind, you think you're like whoever's out there that does it, John Travolta or whatever. I don't know who's out there doing the stuff anymore, if he's even still alive. But, but here's the point. If you're silly enough to go there, you know what you're doing? You're bringing up who you were and what you did when you were a kid and you didn't have any better sense. I don't need to be reminded of that. I realize how stupid I was back then. I look at myself in the mirror and I think, how are you even standing here? I should have been dead like I don't know how many times. You say, why? I mean, one time we got go-karts. We put it together with the wheels off of a baby carriage. And we took nails and drove them in there and bent the nails so that the axle would be on that. And we put a whole two-by-four up there so that we could turn it. And a string on it. Not a rope. A string. And so that we could turn it. And then we decided, listen, just going down the side of a mountain wasn't good enough. You know what we need to do? We need to pile up a bunch of carpet and stuff. And then we need to put a ramp there. And then we're going to evil Knievel it, right? Y'all are like, well, I've never done anything that stupid, preacher. You know, okay, well, now you know why I've lost my mind. And guess what we do? Guess who was first? And at the time, I thought it was because they were all saying, no, you go, you go first. You know, you know, it's your go card. It's OK. You go ahead and go. I realize now it's like, go ahead, idiot. We're going to see how you turn out. Well, you know, I made it to the ramp. After that, I don't really remember, except I was tangled in some carpet and some other stuff. And parts of me that I didn't know I had were hurting. And I was like, I don't know. I was bleeding in so many places. And I remember walking into the carport in Tennessee and walking into the carport. My dad said, y'all make a go-kart? He just looked at me. He's like, did y'all make a go-kart? I was like, how do you know I've been there? Right. Yet you know what I know? I know this. Sometimes that people that have it out for you, all they want to do is remember your past. Here's what you do. You know what you tell them? Hey, you know what? I'm sorry I said a bad example. And I'm sorry I did what I shouldn't have done. I hope and pray you'll forgive me and it doesn't make you stumble. But that's not who I am anymore. When they come to the Apostle Paul, you know what the Apostle Paul said? The Apostle Paul said, yep, you're true. Everything you said right there is right, 100%. But I'm not the same man anymore. 
You have to remember to trust your pardon there and accept the fact that when Jesus died for you, He washed away your sins. He said, well, preacher, I sinned after I got saved. Okay, good. Glad you're a part of the crowd. There's nobody sitting here that hasn't sinned since you've been saved. Listen, being saved doesn't mean sinless. It means being forgiven. Being saved means that you now have your ticket punched and whenever you die, however you die, wherever you are, when you die, you'll be absent from the body and you'll be present with the Lord. If you don't have that settled, can I say with all due respect, you're the biggest fool this side of... Somebody said to me the other day, when I was out in uh, Missouri out there, the middle of little or nowhere, you know, he said to me, he said, well, you know, I, I'm planning on doing that one day. I said, what makes you think you have tomorrow? How do you know you have tomorrow? And I told him a couple of stories that I was familiar with because of what I used to do and things like that. And he goes, well, that was them. I would never do anything like that. And I said, OK. And then I gave him a few stories of people that were minding their own business. One I gave him was out on Jake Turner Butler when the old lady was driving home. Elderly lady, pardon me, was driving home by herself. No, no problem at all. Had on a bright blue dress. I remember that like yesterday. And she's driving and a drunk came off the entrance ramp, came off the exit there on the entrance ramp and came the the wrong way on Jay Turner Butler right as the expressway goes over there and hit her head on and ran her about halfway through the windshield there. He's sitting over there, drunker and Cooter Brown, didn't even didn't even bruise him or anything. And he's sitting over there and she's absent from the body and present with the Lord if she's saved. Oh, preacher, you just tell us that kind of stuff just because of what you used to do. No, I tell you that because I'm trying to warn you. You're not promised. Let me ask you this question. What kept you breathing last night? Did you do that? Well, preacher, you see what that is? It's a parasympathetic nervous system. And then it happens to be, who put that parasympathetic nervous system in you? That makes your eyes blink when sand comes your way, makes your ears able to hear even when you're asleep, and makes your lungs continue to go. Did you keep your heart pumping last night? How about your liver pumping out the toxins? Did you do that? You didn't do that. God did that. Why is He doing that? He's showing you mercy. But ladies and gentlemen, there's a day when mercy runs out. There's a day where God says, you know what He says? That's it. As it was in the days of Noah. What does that mean, preacher? Well, for 110 years, that crazy jack leg, he's got there with just three other boys, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And he's got Miss Shem, Miss Ham, Miss Japheth, and Miss Noah that are there. And they're all out there building a boat. He comes to them, he says, boys, we're going to build a, a boat. And Japheth probably said, good, we get to go fishing. And he said, no, we're not going to be fishing in this boat. He goes down there between two mountains down in a valley where there's not even enough water to float a canoe in a creek down there. And he starts laying this thing out there that's about 300 or so yards long and about 50 to 75 yards wide. And it's about four stories high up in the air. And he gets ready to lay that out. And people come out there and they're laughing at him. And every day at a certain time, Noah would get up there and tell him the same day, it's going to rain, you better get on the ark. It's going to rain, you better get on the ark. What was his message? Judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. <laughs> Judgment's coming. How's judgment going to come? Water going to come out of the sky? Water don't come out of the sky, says the scientist and the philosopher. Water doesn't come out. It comes up from the bottom of the ground. Lord said it's going to rain. Rain. No, you've lost your mind. Were you a Bible believer or something? No, I'm a God believer. God said it's going to rain. It's going to rain. What are you building a boat for, man? You're trying to build condominiums or something? <laughs> this is a living Bible translation. And he says to him, he said, what do you mean? Uh, no, I'm, I'm building a place place for animals to get in. You're pretty much an animal, aren't you? You fit in. Come on, get on the ark. Get on the ark. Get on the ark. Help us get it built. I ain't building no ark, man. They set up their lawn chairs and they roast their weenies and they sit out there and drink their beer and they look. The Bible said wicked, but you know what the Bible just read? Eating, drinking, marrying, giving and marrying. Life goes on. No big deal. It's going to always continue. 
Parents die, grandparents die, Nana dies, Papa dies, Grandma, Grandpa die. Life just continues on every day. 110 years. You know what Noah's saying? It's going to rain. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. Preacher, you've been preaching here all these years. You know what you've been telling us? The Lord's coming, the Lord's coming, the Lord's coming, the Lord's coming. <laughs> oh, I mean, good night, preacher. Are you a liar or something? No, he's coming. You say, well, I mean, in your lifetime, I got no idea. I know this. I've seen him come as little as last week for somebody. Sometimes he'll come for you in a hospital room. That's not the time to get on the ark. Time to get on the arks now. Well, the preacher, I just, okay, go ahead and make excuses. I, I'll grant you the right to make whatever decision, whatever excuse you want to make. Help yourself. I'm for free will. Listen, you're not going to charge the Lord up there when you go to hell. He's not going to, you're not going to say, a loving God wouldn't put me here. The Lord's like, I didn't intend for you to go there. It's prepared for the devil and his angels. The same one that says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest, is the same one that said, depart from me, you curse and an everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That's the same God. You know what he comes to you? He's got a balanced approach. He keeps giving you time. He keeps giving you time. He keeps giving you time. As a matter of fact, there's a passage in the Old Testament, and he says this to you. He says, the cup of the Amorites is not yet full. Who are that? Amorites and Moabites, they didn't help the children of Israel when they came out. The Lord said they're not to come into the congregation. And you know what he does? He continues to extend mercy to them, extend mercy to them, extend mercy to them. And then one day he said, that's it. I'm done. I don't know when that day is in your life. I don't know when your card's punched. I know if the Bible's right, you're not in control of that. God punches your ticket when God's ready to punch your ticket. And when He does, you're not going to do anything about it. There's not enough antibiotics. There's not enough respirators. There's not enough heart monitors and paddles and all the other kind of things. I mean, science is pretty, uh, pretty amazing. But you get this idea that they're almost in control of life. No, they're not. No, they're not. When God says you're out of here, you're out of here. He'll override the machines. What makes you think that just because they're on a machine that the Lord hadn't already taken them out? I've seen them just lay there, just a shell of a person, just kind of hanging out there. You wondering whether or not they're even there or not. I don't know that they are. I think maybe the Lord might have been merciful and gone ahead and take them home. And you're just keeping up or propping up what's left there to make you feel better about things. What a terrible tragedy. You know what he said? He said life just was going on. If that's your life today, you know what? You're in for a rude awakening. You say, well, preacher, when's it going to happen? You know why you want to know the date that it's going to happen? So you can live to the last minute and party and have yourself a good time and accomplish what you want to accomplish and do what you want to do and live how you want to live. And then you know what I'll do? That's Jacob. That's 20 years on the backside doing what he wants to do. And tricking and conniving and shamming and shucking and jiving. And then all of a sudden he goes back. Well, guess who's coming across the plain? Here comes the one he stole from. Here comes Esau. Oh, Lord, I'm in trouble now. He must not have thought much of his wives. He puts Leah up first and then Rachel right after him. <laughs> man, what a thing to do, man. But you know what? When you're skin for skin, all other man hath you give for his life, he figures Esau is going to be hammering him. So you know what he does? He sends him with gifts and stuff and, and he's going to check it out and see. And if Esau slaughters them, I know what he's going to do. He's going to run. He ain't going to face his past. But he couldn't get away from the cornfield. He got out there in that cornfield. You know what happened? He got to arguing with the Lord about it and finally the Lord called him out on it. Has that ever happened to you? You'll never get saved until the Lord calls you out. I'm not talking about what other people know. I'm talking about how God knows you. 
that Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter number 12 that God will judge, shall judge all the secrets of men. Boys, how'd you like to have your head split open and your wife see every thought that's run through your head in the last 24 hours? You pure, perfect, uh, wonderful little snow white you, ma'am. What do you, how would you like to have your thoughts put up on the cam- up on the screen for everybody to see? Yeah, it got quiet there. It should get quiet there. You say, what? Well, I'm talking about the Lord said the thoughts. Mike and back, not just the deeds. Count me out, man. Thank God for the blood. I don't want that judged. I, I'm, I'll take the... You say, you're just a chicken. Amen to that. Why'd you get saved, preacher? I got saved when I was seven. You know why I got saved? I didn't want to burn. Preacher came up to me, southern preacher. He says, I just don't believe you saved. I said, okay, well, you doubt it. I ain't doubting it. He goes, well, you couldn't know about the virgin birth and about the Trinity. I said, I still don't understand all that. I said, I believe it. I said, if you don't believe it, you go to hell. You're talking to a southern hell. You go to hell. <laughs> two syllables out of one, you know. It doesn't just rain. It's raining. Raining. I said, I believe you have to. I said, but you know, if you try to understand it, you lose your mind. You don't understand all of the Trinity. How can God be seated up there? And Jesus is getting baptized, and the Holy Spirit's descending, and they're all the same. Right? Every one of them's all God, but they're all different. I'm glad you understand that. I'll let you teach the next class. But I believe it, because the Bible says so. But you walk by faith, you don't get it. I don't get it, but I believe that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, guess what happens? You come along there and Noah preaches and he preaches. He preaches his guts out, man. He preaches until he stripped his uh, vocal cords. He's got barices running all down through his vocal cords, man, and all the little corpuscles and veins have popped out. He's been standing on the top of that thing. Get on the boat. Get on the boat. Get on the boat. Same message all the time. Like that black preacher uh, years ago, that black preacher that got up to preach and he preached the same message about six weeks in a row and the deacon board called him in the back and said, Preacher, uh, we want you to change the message and stuff like that. You've been preaching the same thing all the time. We're getting tired of hearing the message. He said, as soon as you change the way you live, I'll change the message. I thought, man, that's pretty good. Might want to write that one down. So it, so guess what happens? It's the same message. You know the message of what Noah preached? Get on the ark. You know what's being preached today? You better get on the ark. You better get in Christ. You say, why? When your life ends. A preacher, it may end, it, it may end in 20 years. You might be like her dad with dementia right now. Out there, you like talking to a head of cabbage. I don't mean disrespect. He's uh, be 98 this year. Well, he's lived a good life and all that. The last few years ain't been good at all. He doesn't even know he's coming and going. The only one he recognizes is her. He doesn't recognize anybody else. He looks at me like... I think he's thinking in his mind, why did I ever let her marry you? That's what I think he's thinking. But, but, but everybody else in there, except for a big uh, black fellow over there that takes care of him, his name's Johnson, one of the nicest fellows you'd ever meet, tricks him, he calls him his son, he calls him his boy, and takes care of him. He calls him his baby boy, because he's like a child now. Uh, he doesn't even have a chance to make that decision now. He better be glad he got in late. See, so when did he get in? He didn't get in until he was 92. You say, why? He was like some of you. Well, I hadn't killed nobody. And cheated on my wife. I hadn't paid my bills. Boy, that self-righteousness will get you. Don't ever compare yourself to Christians. You say, why? We're just saved sinners. We just have more sense than you. You say, what? We realize we're sinners and ask the Lord to save us. 
the very idea. It's laughable to me to hear these guys talking about living a righteous life. What is that? You read the Bible lately? I mean, you do the best you can and still fail. And the second you think you got it down pat, you know what you do? You get proud of the fact that you didn't do anything. Listen, from about 10.45 last night until 4 o'clock this morning, I did great. No, I did, man. I was perfect. I don't even know. I mean, I must not have snored. She didn't wake me up. I didn't even commit the sin of snoring. I didn't obey the flesh at all. I just went to sleep. And I mean, I, I was sinless while I was asleep. But the second I woke up, the struggle started. As it was in the days of Noah. Well, preacher, what happened in the days of Noah? Are you going to get to the days of Lot? Just a second. Keep your shirt on. I'll get there. Watch what happens. In the days of Noah, one day the Lord says, Okay, Noah, I think we're about ready. Go ahead and start bringing the animals in. Can you imagine how that must have looked? Do you know what it's like? It's like you people coming to church here on a Sunday morning and the people out there watching you, where are they going to? They going to a game? No, they think nothing of you going to a game. They think nothing of you going downtown to the stadium to watch a football game. Nothing to go watch a basketball game at the Coliseum. Nothing if you going to a hockey game or a soccer game or watching your kids. Nothing. Of, they wouldn't think anything of that. But walking into a church house on a Sunday, that's getting odd. You know what they're thinking? They must be a bunch of animals. Yeah, we're just a bunch of dogs and pigs, man. I mean, that's us. It's what the Bible calls us. But thank the Lord we're saved. I mean, even the dogs get the crumbs from under the master's table. What am I looking for? I'm just throwing you some crumbs this morning. You know what people think? How come all those people are going in there? Here's where you're different. All those animals got on the ark without fighting. (laughs) Got you, didn't I? That had to be supernatural, didn't it? There's lions and tigers and hyenas and elephants and rhinoceri and all the other kind of stuff that are there and giraffes and all that kind of stuff and cats and dogs. If you get where cats and dogs don't fight, I mean, I've seen, y'all send me these little clip things of the cute cat and the dog and all that. Those are exceptions. Those aren't the rules. Everybody wants to get rid of a cat. They're close to the devil. At any rate, I'm glad you got a cat. God bless you. I'm glad you have got a cat. But listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. That Bible says that they began to come in two by two of every kind. And when they got in there, they got everybody in their little berths and so on and so forth and put away and ready to go. And then all of a sudden, the Lord comes to Noah and wakes him up and he says, "Uh, today will be your last sermon. Okay, good preacher. Lord, what do you want me to preach? He said, I want you to preach what you've been preaching. Last call. What do you mean last call? Today's the last one, Noah. Boy, if I could paint, man, I'd have Noah standing up there with the sky beginning to turn off black behind him. Boy, I'd have him some sound effects, man. I'd have that thing sound like a thousand cannon back in the days of artillery barrage. I'd have it going boom, 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 rolling out. And people looking at that sky behind him, forked like and coming down across there like putting on a laser light show. I'd have Noah standing up there and tears begin to gush down his cheek. I mean like water down a mountainside after a spring rain. And he's red in the face and he's wiping snot off of his face. And he's saying, you better get in. You better get in. You better get in. This is it. Oh, shut up, Noah. You've been saying that for 110 years, man. It ain't going to rain today. It's going to rain, man. You get in the ark. Get in the ark. Get in the York. There's mamas with babies and crippled people and mentally defective people and old people and oh, you better get in, man. You better get in. You better get in. Come on, get in. Get in now. 
All those people had witnessed one of the greatest uh, miracles they've ever seen up to that point. A bunch of animals getting in that ark and they get ready and the Lord says, all right, Noah, get your family and get in. That's enough preaching. You're done. You know what he says to Jeremiah about the nation of Israel one time? Can you bear with me for just a minute? You know what he says to, uh, to Jeremiah? Jeremiah said, Lord, you've got to do something for these people. You've got to do something for these people. Lord, help these people. Help these people. Lord, please, you'd think he was from Boston. You know the way he was talking so fast. Lord, help him. Help him, Lord. Help him. And, and the Lord said, I don't want to hear it anymore. I'm done. Man, that'd shake me to the core if I was you. Would the Lord finally just say to you, you know what? I'm done. I called and you would not come. I would have gathered you as a hen gathered her chicks, but you would not. Done. My goodness, man. So Noah wakes up the kids and says, All right, boys, it's time to get in the ark. They're getting on up there in age now. They get their wives and they pile into the ark and stuff. And the Bible says, And the Lord shut to the door. He got in and he can't get out. That's a picture of your eternal security. Once you get in Christ, you never lose it. Just a little reminder there. The Lord locks you in and you, you ain't got no way to get out. You say, why? You're in Him. That's good enough reason to get saved right there. I wouldn't want to be a part of a religion that makes more requirements out of me and puts me in trust with my own salvation. I'd go insane because I read my Bible. I can't keep that thing. All that does is constantly remind me of how short I fall. Well, all of a sudden, Noah gets up there and he says, Lord, just, just one more, just one more stanza, just as I am without one pay. Lord, please, just, Lord, that mama and that baby, come on, Lord, just, just, I mean, Lord, have mercy on them. I'm done, Noah, get down. But Lord, that, that old guy, he's fixing the, Lord, just, just, come on, just one more stanza, just, just one more stanza. He's up there, they're laughing, they're mocking, ah, shut up, Noah, it's crazy. Well, he comes down off of that thing. He's dejected and forlorn. That's 120 years and no results. Can you imagine that? Preaching that long and nobody got saved. Nobody got in the ark. Just a bunch of animals. They get on that thing and the Lord shuts the door and it's just as quiet as you can possibly... You could have heard a pin hit the floor in that thing. You say, what? All the animals are completely at peace. And everything is settled down and it's calm. And old Shem probably says, well, Daddy, you know what? You, you might have something down here, Pat. That's, that's an oddest thing I've ever seen. And those animals begin to lay down probably and begin to get comfortable. They're chewing their cud and they begin to snuggle in. And here comes a drop. And then another drop and a big old clap of thunder. And then all of a sudden that lightning comes down and bangs off the ground, boy, and makes a sound like an atomic bomb going off. And then it starts raining so hard you can't see your hand in front of your face. And that stuff's beating down the upstairs on the top part of that ark, man. It doesn't matter how thick those timbers are. You can hear that rain coming down at a rate of about seven feet an hour. Just pouring down. And they scramble up on the housetops and the water comes to the housetop roof. And they scramble up in the top of the trees and the water rises to the tops of the trees. They make their way as best they can over to the ark and they're banging on the door and they're scratching in their claw and you can see their claw marks. Take my, take my baby, Noah. Take my baby, Noah. Take my baby. Please, Noah, don't let this. Noah, we're sorry. Noah, we're sorry. I can't. The Lord shut the door. 
think he just goes in and he said, I can't take it anymore. Gets him a pair of noise-canceling Bose earphones and puts them on. I can't, I can't take it anymore. And boy, they shout and they cry. And here comes the geologist and the science. And they're running up the rocks, finally using rocks for something of, of use for a change. And they're climbing to the top of the mountains and the water rises to the top of the mountains. And before long, the wood's drifting and the debris's drifting. And before long, the water's there and they can't hold on any longer. And they drift as long as they can. And then they drown. And it's quiet. And the rain stopped and so is the screaming. Because the Lord said, No more mercy. I'm done. You say, not my God. Don't make God like you. That's a God that's righteous. That's a God that if you recognize what I'm saying, the day His mercy runs out is a bad day for you if you're lost. You say, why? Eventually, you know what He'll say? I'm done. I'm through. A preacher, they didn't believe that. They still drowned Preacher, you mean to tell me he drowned all the babies? Isn't it funny how you shift to that? Why would you care who he drowned if you're the one that drowned him? Why wouldn't you say to yourself, I don't want to drown. Preacher, did he drown the babies? Every one of them. No, you mean to tell me that God's going to drown my baby? I mean to tell you if he don't get on the ark, he's going to drown your baby. The difference is, is the babies in the Old Testament went to heaven when they died. So there's actually a blessing, although you'll find that hard to believe. I know you have a difficult time with that. But you know what happened? Preacher, what about all them old people? Drowned. What about the invalids? Drowned. What about the good people in the drowned? Who drowned? Whoever wasn't on the ark. You know what the Lord will do? He'll let you go to hell. You say, why? Because you didn't get on the ark. It won't be you won't blame him. Oh, Lord, what about the heathen in Africa? What about you? What about the heathen at Walmart? You've been to Walmart lately? There's plenty of heathen there. Amen. Y'all feel left out over here? Let me get over here. I'm going to get to my notes here in a minute. Right now, this is just cream. This is introduction, so. But you know what? There comes a point where the Lord said, my, my mercy's run out. God's been merciful to us for a long time. Don't you tell me that a nation that kills babies at the rate we're killing babies and allows homosexuality the way we allow homosexuality, that God shouldn't just jump up here and say, you know what, United States or not, save people in the country or not. You know what this country doesn't realize? It's because you save people that He hadn't gone ahead and judged it. But there's going to come a day when you save people are gone. Right? When us squirrels are gone, the nuts are going to be up a tree, right? Us nuts are gone, the squirrels will be up, however that thing goes. But you know what will happen? One of the days you're going to be gone and the Lord ain't going to hold back no more. You know who takes over when we're gone? The devil. You want to be here for that? Help yourself. You can have my house and my car if it's worth having. You can have the church, have Satan service in here. It don't matter to me. I'm gone. Are you in the ark? That's the question. If you're in the ark, are you ready for the sacrifice? In Genesis chapter number 9, when he comes out, the Lord says, hey, we need to have a sacrifice here. And he winds up taking those sanctified animals and he puts them out there on the ark. And you say, what does he do? Lord, I sure do appreciate you letting me get on the ark. Thank you for providing a way out. I sure do appreciate you taking care of me and my family and that kind of a thing. And uh, Lord, this is just a sacrifice for me to tell you thank you. 
When's the last time you went to an altar and just said, Lord, I sure appreciate my health. I sure do appreciate my eyesight. Appreciate I can still taste. Thank you, Lord, for being able to hear. You hear these girls singing up here this morning. That didn't touch your heart. You've been listening to too much junk. You say, what is that? That's spiritual music. Singing that kind of stuff. Anything too hard for God. Well, sometimes you think so, don't you? But you come and ask Him. Alright, so let me give you one more illustration here. I'll try to make this as quickly as I possible can because it's important for you to recognize. Now, you have the judgment seat of Christ. That's found in 2 Corinthians 5. I don't have time to go into it. The message is going to go way too long. I really would be two hours. But you know what he said? He said, every man's work will be tried of what sort it is. And then he goes on to say, uh, whether it be good or bad. And he said, everyone must uh, give an account of the work done here. And then he says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Well, that terror has absolutely nothing with going to hell. And the context of that has nothing to do with you going to hell. You know what it has to do with? God showing His wrath and no mercy on you at the judgment seat because you lived your life for yourself. If you were in Sunday school, that means you have to realize I can't live my life unto myself. You're not just a public servant, you're God's servant. And God can do with you whatever, can He? It matters whether or not He won't take it from you. Well, he uses an illustration of Lot. And everybody likes the story of Lot. Lot gets in a big argument with his uncle Abraham. And Abraham concedes, you know, the argument. You know, they have some conciliatory agreement there that they get there. And he goes ahead and capitulates and says, okay, well, you know what? You go ahead and take because he's watching the heathen, watching them argue. There's a great lesson in that. The older Christian realizes that people are watching them that are lost people. And he says, hey, boy. You just take whatever you want because what's worse is our testimony in front of these people is that even though we're set apart for God, we're arguing like two little kids. I mean, sometimes you have a conversation, you know, with somebody and then the next thing you know, you can hear them up close, but when you listen to them at a distance, it sounds like two cardinals fighting over a worm or something. And the older brother should say, hey man, just... Do what you need to do and let's let it go for testimony's sake. Well, Lot goes down there and he pitches his tent towards Sodom and then before long he's in the gates of Sodom and then before long everybody is down there in Sodom and stuff like that. Wicked city, boy. Just wicked. Just ungodly. You can even look at the historical accounts of what they were doing there if you have the stomach for it. It's absolutely unbelievable. It is so unbelievable that when those two angels show up over there and they come over there to get Lot or to rescue Lot and his family out of there, it is so unbelievably wicked. And I need you to listen to me now. This is important. When he comes in over there, you know what happened? The men of Lot, the men of Sodom and Gomorrah, you know what they do? They see those men and they're starting to tear the door down where the men are. You know what Lot does? He steps out there on his front porch and he says, Hey, I'll make you a deal. I'll give you my two virgin daughters, but let these men alone. Now, you've got to get the gravity of that. First of all, Lot, you've got to be out of your mind. But second of all, they said no deal. We want the men. Are you nauseated yet? You think I'm going to cater to that? I'm a preacher. I don't have to cater to that. It's contrary to the book. God didn't make Adam and Eve. Adam and Steve. He made Adam and Eve. For a reason. And if you don't amen that, you've got lace on your britches is all I know to tell you. But you need to... That's true. Y'all are shocked by that. Preacher, that's politically incorrect. 
is biblically correct. You know what he does? He says, these two, uh, we'll take the men. And the angel says, okay, well, I'll be jumped. And he said, Lot, the Lord's going to burn this place. Now, come on. Going to burn up Sodom, Gomorrah, Admon, Zeboam, four cities doing the same thing because it had spread. You've got to be kidding me, man. Burn it. That's insane, man. Who ever heard of that Old Testament judgment? You talk like Noah and that kind of a deal back there in the day. You've got to be kidding me. I'm telling you, he's going to burn it. And the angel says, come on, we got to go. Pack your stuff up and let's get out of here. Man, she gets out Louis Vuitton and she gets out all of her other stuff and she's starting to pack everything up. And she's realizing, man, I need to go back down to the store and I need to get me some Jimmy Choo's and things like that and get everything fixed up there. How am I going to get all that Tupperware on the back of a donkey and all that? And the angel says, there ain't no donkey here. I mean, maybe lot every now and then, but no, we ain't taking no donkey with us. We're going out by foot and we're going out fast. And you need to lighten the load here and that kind of a stuff. Well, you know, my backpack doesn't have the LV on. It. I don't know if I can carry that. Why? What would people think when they were seeing me going without with that kind of a deal going on? That's just me kind of filling in there with it. Maybe how it's going. <laughs> and so he gets ready to get stuff going there. He's got a couple of his daughters. He says to the angels, hey. And he goes, now you remember lots of judge. He's in the gate. He judges people. Right? So he's known. That Bible says over in the book of Hebrews that he vexed his righteous conversation. How did he vex it? Well, he comes over there and he got a couple of kids, his daughters down there. And he goes and bangs on the door of his son-in-law's. And he said, hey, I need my daughters, man. We got to go, man. The Lord's going to burn this place up. We got to go. And those old drunken, drunk sodomites, they come to the door. You know what they say? Burn this place. You're crazy. You're nuts. Lot lost his testimony. And when push came to shove and he's telling them judgment's coming, they didn't believe him. See, it doesn't matter if you believe it. It's whether or not the people you're talking to believe it. Well, you know how the thing goes. They get ready to go and he can't get the other daughters to go with him. So him and his two daughters, they take off. And guess what? You look at that passage and you'll find it. You can read it later on. You know what he has to do? He has to take them by the hand, which seems to be indicative of they didn't really want to go. It's hard to leave where your roots are. In the New Testament, the Lord says this, and I'm almost done. In the New Testament, you know what He says? He says, remember Lot's wife. You say, why to remember Lot's wife? Because the Lord, the angel told those boys, and uh, told uh, Lot and his family there, now when you go, don't look back. You know, I've learned in the Christian life that if I'm moving toward the Lord and I just look back on what I used to do and where I used to be and how I used to be and... If I listen to things that cause me to go back in my mind to where I used to be, you know what I find out? I find out I get petrified. I find out I get stagnated. I find out I stop frozen because I'm hanging out in the past. The Bible says no man having put his hand to the plow and turneth back is fit for the kingdom. doesn't mean you're lost. It just means you ain't fit for nothing. You can't plow. Papa would say he ain't fitting to plow. Fitting. That just is a southern expression of he, he ain't worth trying to plow. He told me about that mule one time and he said, you'll spend the whole day fighting that mule he won't get nothing done. You'll be better off plowing without a mule. He ain't fitting to plow. Well, so Lot grabs up them girls and he takes off going and the angel says, now before we go, there's one rule. When we get out of here, don't look back. 
And boy, I'm going to tell you what, man, that fire and brimstone begins to sail over like mortar shells coming across. I mean, it's whistling through the air, man. I mean, all of a sudden, boy, I mean, the stuff begins to fall and they're watching the stuff fall and they're watching if they could see it. They're watching men's skin turn bright red and then it turns a deep purple and then it turns the color of this carpet that sort of and that fat begins to ooze out and then their skin melts off their bones and the next thing you know, they're just completely disintegrated like Hiroshima, a God of mercy. Second bomb dropped on Nagasaki. 54,000 dropped at that moment. 54,000. When they dropped the first bomb out of the Enola Gay, they're looking at that thing through uh, welding glasses, and the welding glasses weren't enough to prevent the light from coming up and almost blinding the guy, watching that gigantic mushroom cloud come up, and it come up there and be that old dark, deep, sort of a reddish color, and mushroom up there into the smoke and all, and have yellows and oranges and all the flames come up. 54,000, you know what the Lord said? Done. Women, children, invalid, everybody, done. Can you imagine that? You say, preacher, were there children in Sodom and Gomorrah? Yep. And parents didn't have enough sense to take them out of there. And if they didn't have the opportunity to get in, then they would get in because of that. We don't believe babies go to hell. I'm not one of those fools that believe that. But it's a lot of them are old enough to decide and they chose to live like mom and daddy. Why would you live in a place like that? Why would you allow your kids to participate in that? You preacher, don't we have a problem in this country today with juvenile crime? No, we have a problem with the parents that don't control the juveniles. Before you start blaming the kids for everything, those apples didn't fall far from the tree. How about we deal with somebody who's got a little sense in there? They wouldn't listen to him. He vexed his conversation. How's your testimony? Are you someplace you're not supposed to be? Are you with somebody you're not supposed to be with? Are you running with the wrong crowd? Does the angel have to come snatch you away from them? Would you be willing to say, you know something, I shouldn't even be here. You know the odd thing about that is that uh, he got an, another opportunity to get out. I'll tell you this and I'm done. He goes over there and he calls Uncle Abe, finds out that uh, by, uh, uh, I don't know, probably Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or Twitter or something like that. Uh, or a little bird told him, who knows, but says, uh, hey, Abraham, you know your nephew Lot? Yeah, I know him. Yeah, he got, uh, got abducted over there. They came into Sodom and Gomorrah and they took him and his family captive. And Abraham said, well, I reckon that's what he gets for being over there. Oh, well. No, it's not what he does. You know what he does? He gets an army. And he said, I'm going to go rescue him. Now, let me ask you a question. If you had been abducted from a place and you knew when you got abducted you were better off being abducted than to stay there, would you go back there? You know what Lot did? He went right back where he got abducted from. You know what that was? That was the Lord trying to intervene and say, you better get out, boy. You better get out, boy. You better get out, boy. You know what he said? Never get me. Never get me. Well, you know what happens? The Lord says, as it was in the days of Noah and as it was in the days of Lot. You say, what happened? The Lord said, sit, I'm done. I don't know when that day is going to come. I know this, Christian, if you're saved, there's going to come a day where you are going to pass away by death or rapture and the Lord is going to call you into account for what you've done for Him since you've been here. Did you use the life God gave you for His, for His glory? No matter what it is you do. Did He get the preeminence in your life? 
or was just honorable mention every now and then. You get to give an account for it. You're still going to heaven. But you don't know when you're going. You say, when's the rapture going to happen? I couldn't tell you. When are you going to die? How about that one? I'm more apt to die. Are you believing the rapture? Sure. Hope for it every day. But I wouldn't go to the doctor if I wasn't worried about dying. You say, what? You get blood pressure issues and you get cancers and you get all this and that and the other. You say, what are you doing? You try to stay alive as long as you can before you kick the bucket. And then you're gone. And then what? And if you wait for the rapture, real quick illustration and I'll close. We were doing an investigation downtown years ago. And pretty rough stuff going on. And I, the guy that I was working with was out of a homicide and, and I talked to him about the Lord coming, the Lord coming, the Lord coming. And finally one day, I don't know where I came up with it. It just came to me. I took my key ring off and I pulled a key off that. I said, hey man, look, here's the extra key to my house. You do me a favor? And he said, what are you giving me that for? And I said, well, when the Lord comes to get me, I said, will you let my dog out? <laughs> he liked dogs, you know. He said, well, I said, my, I got a good dog. Will you let my dog out? You know, let him just run free. I'd rather, I don't want him just starved to death in there. And, and I, he said, what are you talking about? I said, well, you know, if I think the Lord's coming, I might leave the, you know, toilet seat up or something so he'll have some water to drink or whatever. But I said, there won't be enough food for him. Would you, would you, would you let him? He said, Why'd you say that? I said, because I'm not going to be here. I said, go in there. You know, here's where all the guns are. Here's where this is. Here's where that is. There ain't nothing there to take. Take whatever you want. You can have it. You can live there for all I care. It don't matter. But just let my dog out. He came about two or three weeks later. He would always joke about it. You know, I still got your key. You know, I still got your key. One day I drove over to Lake City. He's still alive now. I drove over to Lake City. The Lord had just put it on my heart. And I pulled in over there and I said, Hey man, I need to talk to you. Hey P, how you doing? Well, we talked for a while. And I said, Hey, <laughs> I really need to talk to you, man. I said, I don't know if this would be the last time or not. His health wasn't too good. And I said, Listen, man, if you don't trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, I said, I don't know what else to tell you. I don't know what else I can do. But if you don't, you're going to go to hell. I said, You've been around death all your life. But one day it's going to be you in the box. And then what? And over a little bit of time there, we began to talk and I showed him a couple of things. And that big old boy, he slid off the edge of that easy chair there and he slid down on his knees and just said, okay, I've had enough. And he trusted Jesus as his personal Savior. And he got up from there. And I remember walking out the door on his front porch there and I turned around and he said, hey, P. I said, yes, sir. I turned around and he said, uh, you have to give this key to somebody else. <laughs> he said, I ain't going to be here. <laughs> now, now, what is that? As it was in the days of Noah. As it was in the days, so shall it be. Judgment's coming. When? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it may come by the end of the service. But you know what could happen? It could happen for you today. Big boy up there in the balcony is not here with us today. You remember, just a few weeks ago. I mean, it looked like the Lord was going to punch his ticket. He done fell out up there a couple of times and had difficulties with the problems with his heart and all that kind of stuff. He's been here for years. Take him over to the hospital and we all go and pray for him and all that other kind of stuff. He gets out, seems to do a little better, winds up going back in. They wind up doing CPR on him and bust four ribs and that kind of a deal. It's an absolute miracle he has enough of heart to even be around today. You know what he told the nurses before he went under? 
<laughs> he said, it's okay if I don't come out. I know where I'm going. Do you? I didn't want to see him go. The Lord left him around, but they're going to probably have to replace his ticker. But boy, what a way, what a thing. Come to the end of life, it don't matter all the great things he's done. A good man. Love the Lord, believe the book, serve this city for 30-something years. I mean, come on, that's a good fellow, right? You know what he said? It's okay if I don't come out, I'm ready to go. Are you? And they put him under, and he almost didn't come out. And they asked his wife, and she said, well, we're working on this and working on that. She said, well, thank the Lord we know where he's going. What? I don't want him to go, but if he does go, I know I'll see him again. Miss Pat's going to come play. I'm going to ask you a question. First of all, I want you to listen to me now before you pray. I want you to listen to me. Christian, are you ready for the day of the judgment seat? Oh, preacher, nobody can be ready. You know, you keep telling us, I'll wait another week or two. Why wait? Why wait? Let me ask you this. If you're unsaved today, why would you wait? I'm not trying to scare you. I guarantee you within a stone's throw, anywhere you are sitting in this congregation, if you're here and you're lost, I guarantee you, you can grab somebody that's sitting around you that can take a Bible and show you how to meet Jesus Christ like that, like that. This church is full of people that are like that. You don't have to come to the preacher. I'm not the priest. You don't confess to me. You get saved by confessing Jesus Christ. You don't get saved by confessing your sins. I don't want to hear your sins. Then you'll think I'm going to tell you mine. I ain't telling you. I confess Him as my Savior. You say, well, so what do I need to do? You need to, let me show you, take a Bible and show you how to trust, get eternity fixed. And if you're ready to do that, then you're ready to go when the day comes. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Two stanzas. Nobody comes. I'm going to close it. Two stanzas. God spoke to you. I'm coming, preacher. I'm coming. While they're coming, many are coming right now. While they're coming, can I ask you a question? If there's not a time in your life that you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, would you consider this message is directly for you? There's one coming. There's one coming. How about you? Listen, man, all of heaven shouting right now, why one sinner repented. You matter that much to Him. He died for you, according to the Scripture, was buried, raised again the third day, according to the Scripture. All kind of benefits after you get saved, but... You don't get them if you're not saved. How about it? How about it? How about it today? Today is the day of salvation.